Well, a very good morning to you all. And we bring greetings from Canada. <clears throat> nice, cool greetings. <laughs> and uh, we're very happy to be here. It's been uh, a little while. We're very, very happy to, to visit with you again on our way back to Belize. And we're excited about getting back home. We've, we were caught up in the pandemic and uh, turned the key on our place and and we were on our way to Israel, and next thing you know, the pandemic hit, and we've been, we were stuck ever since. So <clears throat> we're very excited about going home. And if you would like to see a report on the work of the Lord in Belize, you could come this evening, as was already mentioned, and it'd be a short video and a bit of a report, and we would, uh, we would love to have you come and come and see that. So <clears throat> um, I'd like to go right to the Word, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. And let's just begin by reading our text for this morning, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 15. Matthew 24, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads... Let him understand, and we pray for understanding as we read. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, to open your word, Lord, and we just pray that as we do, your spirit will guide us and open our understanding, Lord, that we may see Jesus. We just pray for each one here today. We pray for the Sunday school, and Lord, we pray for the, the Vacation Bible School as well. For all the leaders and for all the people working in the backgrounds, praying, and Father, for the children and for the leaders. And so we just commit this day to you, this week, 
And we give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> now, is it just me or does it seem like the world has gone crazy over the last year or two? <laughs> I mean, really. And I've always told myself, well, there's been times in histories. Like, can you imagine what it was like for the Christians during World War II? You know, the world was completely set on fire with the world war. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I was transfixed by the 11-day war over in Israel. There have been many uh, recent wars over there. But this latest one, I was truly <clears throat> amazed. And, you know, when, when they sent up over 4,000 rockets and shot at Israel indiscriminately, I might add, on the whole population of Israel, 30% of which fell on their own people in Gaza. But <clears throat> amazingly enough, uh, there wasn't a lot of loss of life uh, because of the modern nature of, of warfare. Um, but what amazed me too was Benjamin Netanyahu had a press conference after this 11-day war. And he said, <clears throat> today, uh, Scripture is fulfilled before you. And he quoted the Bible. He quoted Amos um, chapter 1 and verse 7, which said, I sent fire to the walls of Gaza. It was Operation Guardian of the Walls. And then he said this, and I could not really understand what he, why he said this, but he said, we will guarantee the future of Israel. And I was trying to think, figure out, who does he mean by we? <laughs> now, if he means <clears throat> him and God, okay. But if he meant him and the IDF, nobody can guarantee anything. But I was just really struck with that. And uh, so as we <clears throat> uh, saw these things, we were alarmed. Another thing that really struck me was at one point in the war, the Twitterverse exploded with images of flames going up on the Temple Mount. And from certain angles, it looked like the Temple Mount was going up in flames. Well, it turned out afterwards that it was a tree that was lit on fire. And from certain angles, as it blew up, it looked like the whole place was on fire. But of course, you know, TikTok had it all over the world within seconds. And it was very, um, you know, the implications of this with the future is, is, is really alarming. Because that is the, the, uh, <clears throat> the future and only site where the third temple can and will be built. So it was really quite uh, alarming. And what I want to speak to you t uh, today about is the future from this text that we have read. I want to share with you four things about the future from this text. There's been a lot of interest in prophecy and in the future these days. And, <clears throat> of course, um, this is the unique thing about the Bible is that it's the only place where we can actually know about the future. We don't think about this often, do we? But it is the only source, the only reliable source, I should say, about the future. And <clears throat> if we want to study history, well, that's, you know, we can do that because we can go to a library. We can 
study archaeology, and, and somebody who stor- studies the past is called a historian, right? We can study the present, but what about the future? Well, the only source we have, we are absolutely 100% shut up uh, to what God has revealed in his word. And this is what Jesus does in this great passage. And <clears throat> so I want to share with you four things about the, the future from this text. But before we do, I just want to mention a couple of things about the context uh, of this passage. This is one of the great prophecies of the Bible. And, you know, the more work that you do in your Bible study, learning the context, the better result you will have with your interpretation. And this is no exception. (coughs) You'll notice in the first verse, look what it says. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That is an incredibly symbolic thing that Jesus did. This is full of meaning because... Jesus had pre- was presented to the nation of Israel as their king, as their Messiah, as their savior. That's what Matthew is about, right? It is the gospel of the king and of the kingdom. And he presents himself as the Messiah. But you'll notice, look at verse 37. If you back up into the previous chapter, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And really it's reminiscent of of what we read in Ezekiel with the Shekinah glory cloud you know, leaving the temple when, when, they, when God left the, the temple. And here's Jesus, God in person, the very glory of God, and they have now rejected him fully. And it says that he left the temple. So there's something uh, really important here happening dispensationally where Israel will be set aside. And, you know, this is <clears throat> really uh, ties into what you were hearing last week. We had an opportunity to tune in here where Malcolm was talking about righteousness rejected from Romans 10, I believe it is. And there you have the whole spiritual history of Israel. Chapter 9, their past. Chapter 10, their present. And chapter 11, their future. But here, they have rejected the Lord Jesus and the kingdom that he was willing to offer them. And uh, if you look at Matthew as a a whole, this is... Uh, the third of a series of great discourses on the kingdom. And way back in chapter 5, 6, and 7, you have probably one of the most famous sermons, the the Sermon on the Mount, right? And you remember that one, blessed is the peacemaker and so on. You have the principles of the kingdom. Jesus says that if you accept me as your king, this is how you will live. It's not a roadmap to heaven. But it is the Sermon on the Mount, the principles of the kingdom. Then in chapter 13, a very interesting thing happens. And you have the kingdom taking mystery form because even then he was revealing that the the kingdom was being rejected and God was going to do a new thing with the church. And Matthew mentions the church for the first time in chapter 16 where Jesus says, I will build my church. And... 
there you have the parables of the kingdom. When you come to Matthew 24 and 25, you have the prophecy of the kingdom. And it is a very Jewish context. And what God is going to be doing now is he's going to be setting Israel aside and, and, and God is going to be doing something totally new. But he looks forward to the end. And what the Sermon on the Mount is about, by the way, it's called the Olivet Discourse because he was sitting on the Mount of Olives when he, when he gave it. Uh, but the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, is Christ's teaching on the end of this age, the period leading up to the second coming of Christ. And it's given in response to three questions, two or three questions that the disciples asked. And it is the longest answer to any question in the New Testament. And it is very Jewish in its context. We don't see the church. The disciples weren't thinking about the church. They weren't looking for the church. They had no idea. They didn't, they heard it mentioned, but they, they just went like this. They were waiting for the kingdom. They believed that Jesus was the king. And they're saying, what will be the sign of your coming? They believed that it was right there, ready to appear. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And so he gives them this discourse. Just to show you the Jewish context, look at um, verse 16. Look at verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee. We're not in Judea. (laughs) Okay? Look at verse um, 20. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. We don't have to worry about keeping the Sabbath as New Testament Christians. We keep, we observe the Lord's Day today. And so it's a very Jewish context. You don't read about the church in these chapters, okay? Not even the rapture. When it says two shall be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken and the other left. The one taken is not taken in the rapture. The person is taken in judgment and the person left is left for millennial blessing. Just like the, the context of the illustration with Noah's Ark that the people left were left for life on the new earth. So it, it, the more work you do in the context, um, the better it will be. And so, um, <clears throat> but the disciples here are a little group. They're believing in Christ. And <clears throat> I really liked what Malcolm said last week. He mentioned an election within an election. <laughs> and a little stroke of hermeneutical clarity, I thought. Uh, and so... <clears throat> Even within the nation of Israel, there are those who recognize Christ. So, <clears throat> without talking any more about the, the content of it, um, just a little bit about the, the context, uh, I want to share four things about the future from this text. We're going to by no means uh, do it justice, but here are four things. Number one, throughout history, people have always had an interest in the future. And the disciples here are no exception. They're like, tell us, Lord, what will be the sign? How are we going to know? They were looking towards the future. And everybody throughout history uh, have had a strong desire to know the future. And today is no exception. And, um, you know, telling the future is big business. We're talking millions and if not billions of dollars with horoscopes and mediums and fortune tellers. People want to know what the future is. <laughs> the great thing is, is the Bible tells us about the past, the present, and the future. It has all the answers. Amen? 
You know, I remember a story about H.A. Ironside, a great commentator of, of yesterday. <clears throat> and he was in San Francisco, and he was just having a quiet time in the park, sitting on a bench. And this lady came up to him and said, listen, if you cross my palm with a dollar, I'll tell you your future. <laughs> and he was thinking about that for a while. And he said, you know what? <clears throat> I've got a proposition. I will cross your palm with a dollar if you can tell me my past. <laughs> she said, what? And he pulled out his New Testament. He says, I was just reading in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, wherein in time past we walked according to the course of this world and so on. And she would, saw the New Testament and bolted. <clears throat> but the Bible tells us the past, the present, and the future. But people today are very interested about the future. But how can we know the future? Well, the more we read this book, the more we will know about what's coming in the future. I want to give you a definition of what prophecy is because this, the genre of this, these chapters is prophecy. And a great definition of what prophecy is is this. It's history written in advance. <laughs> That's how much we can trust the Bible. That's how exact it is, even in its minute uh, detail. So throughout history, uh, people have wanted to know the, the future. And the disciples are no different. We mentioned that they're, they're, they had two or three questions. Um, they said, <clears throat> they, they showed him the buildings of the temple. And you know, Jesus had just left the temple and he says, that's it, your house is empty, done. And the disciples were dismayed and they were amazed and they said, but Lord, look at, look at the temple. And this would have been Herod's temple the gold would just shimmer and the sun would be almost blinding. They had golden grapes along the, the top edge of the building, the size of fists. It was just a spectacular, uh, it was 40 and 6 years in building, John chapter 2 says. You can still see the stones from that temple pushed off at the, at the, at the end of the temple mount today if you go there. And so they, they asked him these questions in verse 2. Um, Sorry, verse 3. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? Question number 1. And what will be the sign of your coming? Question 2. And of the end of the age. So the disciples wanted to know about the future, about his coming. And <clears throat> Jesus makes an amazing statement here in verse 2. As he looks at their near future, he says, Do you see the, these buildings? He says, not one stone will be left upon another. And this prophecy has a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. And verse 2 is a near fulfillment because in uh, just a couple of decades, Titus would come through with the Romans and absolutely flatten Jerusalem, including the temple. And it would be burnt to the ground. You know why? <laughs> well, they, they sieged it for so long that almost a million Jews died. But they ended up having to burn it. He didn't want to burn it, but they burnt it to the ground. And now we know why every stone would be torn apart. It was to get at the gold. The fire was so hot that it melted the gold into the stones, and they were prying them apart to get the gold, and they tore the whole thing apart, fulfilling to the word what Jesus had said. Truly remarkable. And then he gives them this discourse on the future. And this is really about the tribulation period. And I don't know if it starts in verse 4 or verse 9. There's a different uh, uh, 
um, schools of thought as to when exactly the tribulation period starts in this chapter. But he says that this is the beginning of sorrows. He says it's not the end yet. And we have these time markers. Look at verse 9. Then they will deliver you up. Verse 14. Then the end will come. Verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation. So on. You have all these time markers which map out the tribulation period. But all through time, people have wanted to know the future. And here what Jesus does is pulls back the veil and shows them the future before his return. So that's the first thing. Throughout history, people have wanted to know the future. The second thing from this text is this. The future is fearful. (laughs) When I read these chapters, I tremble inside. And I also thank God I'm saved. I thank God I'm saved. Because when you read this, these chapters, you realize that the future is absolutely horrible for this world. And I have to add a caveat here. The future is not fearful for the believer. Amen? Amen. <laughs> That's why I say I'm so glad I'm saved. Because these two chapters describe a future which is absolutely terrifying. And I want to give to you nine characteristics of the future that are coming up. Don't worry, we're not going to go into each point in detail, right? We still want to have our lunch. But there are nine characteristics that that Jesus gives. And I want to point out how Jesus starts in verse 4. Take heed that no one deceives you. Isn't this interesting? Because in the field of Bible prophecy and the future, it is a field of Bible study where there is a particular danger of going off track, of being deceived. And again, it's great business, isn't it? And if you were to go online, if you were to listen to the the whole world of Christianity, you would have so many conflicting thoughts. In fact, just buy 10 commentaries on Matthew 24 and you will have 10 different interpretations. You have to be so... Uh, careful in your Bible study to rightly divide it. Because Jesus says you have to take heed. That's a great warning for us, isn't it? Take heed. <clears throat> take heed that no one deceives you. So it's very, very important that you study your Bible. You actually have the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the author of the book, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. And we must always compare Scripture with Scripture and search those things, whether those or so, whatever any preacher is saying. So, <clears throat> the first characteristic then, verses 4 and 5, is false Christs. There will arise a multitude of false Christs. Number two, wars and rumors of wars. And again, I, I mentioned here that the world has always had wars and rumors of wars, right? But Jesus uses a word here. He says, this is the beginning of sorrows. The word there is labor pains labor pains of a woman about to give birth and you know when i read this i'm like immediately jolted back to when our children were born especially the first one and my wife went into labor it was absolute pandemonium at our place of course my dear wife she is sitting in perfect peace in the car waiting for me and i'm running around trying to grab everything last minute we go to the hospital and then it was you know i'll never ever 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 experience not even one tiny bit of what you know, the other gender experiences. But I'll tell you what, it was not fun. 
And I never forget, you know, she was like, <clears throat> you know, open the door, you know, and okay, get me some water, you know, open the window, ice in the water, close the window, put my bed up, go get the doctor, you know, and I'm running around hither and yon trying to keep up with all these instructions. And, and, and then I go to get the doctor and she's like, leave the doctor alone. <laughs> and I mean, I know she was just experiencing the labor pains, right? Now, there's one thing I did not do. I knew that I could not do this. I could not say, honey, let's not have the baby in February. Come on, let's just put it off till July, okay? (laughs) I wish I could have. But you know, those labor pains, when they become more intense and more regular, what does it mean? Baby's coming. And this is what's happening in the world. This world is going into labor. And it's becoming more intense. And it's becoming more regular. And we do need to take heed. We do need to wake up to the fact that Jesus is coming soon. The world is asleep. Half the church is asleep. But the word of God is sounding out this alarm that judgment is coming. So there are wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, famines. This is happening right now. It's always happened, I know. Verse 7 again, number four, uh, 4, pestilences. Well, I have right in my Bible in the margin, coronavirus. Because that's what it is. It's a pestilence. It is worldwide. There's a lot of different theories as to what it is and how should we respond to it. But it is absolutely a pestilence. Number five, verse seven, earthquakes. Again, there's always been earthquakes. But Jesus says here that you'll see earthquakes in various or different places. Places we've never had earthquakes and stronger earthquakes and more earthquakes and so on. Have you ever been in an earthquake? I haven't, but I've been close to two where we were close enough to the epicenter, one in Guatemala and one in Belize. But the one in Guatemala, never forget it. All of a sudden, the house began to shake. The epicenter was in El Salvador. We were close to the border. And next thing you know, the floor of my living room was like a plate of jello. The sensation was absolutely terrifying. And my whole life seemed to flash before my eyes. I grabbed my daughter. We ran outside. And there were the telephone poles like this. And before we knew it, it was over. But I tell you what, you realize how fragile life is and how powerful God is in his creation. And, you know, sometimes God has to shake us to wake us. And the earthquakes, it's like a warning signal in your car, you know, beep, beep. You you ignore them, right? So do I. The light's been on check engine forever, right? (laughs) But that's what the world is saying. Number six, martyrs and anti-Semitism, verses 8 to 10. What do we see today? We see the rise of anti-Semitism. You would think that would have been cured by the Second World War. It hasn't. It's alive today. Um, Verse 11, false prophets. uh, Number eight, increased evil and loss of love, verse 12. Is that not what we see today? We're seeing a holocaust of of aborted babies and violence and and things happening you can hardly um, grasp what is happening in around the world today and then number nine worldwide preaching of the gospel of the kingdom verses 13 and 14 now this is not the gospel per se that we preach today this will be the gospel preached during the tribulation period after the rapture It's the same gospel in the sense that you are saved by faith, by God's grace, but the emphasis is on the kingdom. The kingdom is about to arrive, the same gospel that John the Baptist preached. And so um, 
Also, I should mention, it says, um, they that endure to the end shall be saved. You know, some people teach from that, verse 13, that you could lose your salvation. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that those who endure to the end of the tribulation period will be saved from the tribulation period and will go into the millennium. So that is the second thing about the future, that the future is fearful if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian. And, you know, these things, whether we are actually seeing these things today or whether this is describing the beginning of the tribulation period, it doesn't matter. And as someone has said, I think it was Billy Graham, he said that that future events cast their shadows before them. It's like approaching hoofbeats. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are already galloping towards the Armageddon. And we are hearing the approaching hoofbeats. And future events cast their shadows before them. In other words, we are seeing a preview. We are seeing a, a, a dress rehearsal, as it were, of the end times. And of the mark of the beast and all the rest of it. And so it is a, a really scary thing. So that's the second thing. The future is fearful according to this text. Number three. God is in control of the future. Amen? Amen. God is in control. And this is why when I go to bed at night, I have perfect peace. 100% peace. I am not, you know, I find it a real distraction and a frustration what's going on in the pandemic. And I feel terrible for the people that are suffering and the economies that are collapsing and the chaos and the problems. But I tell you what, it doesn't touch my salvation. Amen? Amen? Because I know that God is in control. Look at verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What a tremendous statement. Jesus is saying that he's in control. His word is powerful. He brought everything into existence. His word is powerful. He holds everything together by the word of his power. And by his word, he is carrying everything to its, to its purpose and, and, and destination goal you know we we've talked about how jesus could talk about the the events of of just a few decades from his being here and and not one stone upon another and i say how could he do that how could he describe the future in such detail you know how he's god amen and he's in control he's in control and this is one of the great things about uh prophecy And as you study history and you study the future, you find out that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and everything is going according to his plan. Although it looks like absolute chaos, it is going according to his plan. And um, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He ordains the course of history before it occurs. And that is a great thing. It comforts us tremendously. There's a whole bunch of verses there, but I'm going to move on. So we've seen so far that people want to know the future throughout history. We, we've seen from this text that the, the future is very fearful for this world that doesn't accept Christ. And we've also seen that, that God is in control of the future. The last point I want to make is this, that we should make sure that we are ready for the future. The message of this sermon on the the Olivet Discourse, the message is this. Get ready. (laughs) Prepare. Because that's what he says here throughout. Look at verse 37. Look at verse 37. 
But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. Verse 44. Therefore you also be ready. Chapter 25, the, the, the parable of the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. Look at verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in. Those who were ready. Verse 13, watch, therefore, on and on, throughout this sermon, throughout this message is this, the message, you've got to be ready. You've got to prepare. And that's what the message of this uh, is uh, for us that we've got to be ready think about how it was before the flood in noah's day i mean he's building an ark and they're like what in the world do you need that for <laughs> you know he talked about judgment coming everybody laughed everybody mocked him they said you're crazy noah and he said i know it looks like that but this there's a storm coming there is a storm coming that is going to just wipe this planet clean. You've got to come. You've got to come. You've got to get ready. You've got to come and enter the door. You've got to get into the ark. You've got to have to get in that place of safety. And, of course, you know the, the story of what took place. You know, <clears throat> I when, while we were home, we were able to visit Northland Bible Camp. It's a camp way up in northern Ontario. And uh, we used to serve there... Uh, working with junior boys and senior boys and different camps. And I'll never forget one year we went on a canoe trip. Uh, we took all the guys and all the canoes, and we went on an overnight canoe trip. We went down this river into this lake, and it was just a beautiful spot. Rocks everywhere and trees, and it was just beautiful. It was a great setting for, for uh, a boys' camp, overnight trip. And, you know, as we... As we went there, we said, listen, this, we're going to have fun, okay? You're going to be able to go swimming. You're going to be able to go hiking and fishing and swimming. You can do it all. But listen, before you do that, you need to set up camp, okay? You need to get your tent out. You need to prepare for things because when we have supper, it's going to get dark and you need to get ready. And so everybody, most everybody, got ready, pitched their tent, got everything prepared, ready. And, of course, uh, we had a great time. And they all did go fishing and swimming and hiking and had a great time. We had the, the supper, the wiener roast and the fire and the, the s'mores and everything, right? And so it's all, everybody gets, you know, goes off to their several little campsites that they've hacked out of the, the wilderness and so on. Well, later that night, we wake up and there is a storm howling. I don't know how we didn't see it on the weather report but this storm rolled in and just roared through that whole area. Rain and wind and lightning. And about 11.05 at night, I hear this little whimpering voice at our tent. Guys, <laughs> we're like, what? What are you doing? What do you want? Can we come in your tent? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I'm like, what, 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 what's wrong? Where's your tent? We didn't set it up. <laughs> And of course, they, they didn't, they, they didn't heed the warrant. They didn't prepare. And I was like, listen, we told you to get your tent ready. Now we're dry. You're soaked. We're in here dry and safe and you're out there all muddy. Who knows what? Mosquitoes and you want to come in here? Yeah, please crack another lightning. Okay. We opened the tent. I mean, it was just a miserable night, but you know, <laughs> that is exactly the way this world is right now. 
there are people saying there is a storm coming. There is a terrible storm coming on this planet. But there's the message is you've got to get ready. So my friend, I ask you this morning, from the word of God, are you ready? Are you prepared for the storm of, that is coming on this, in this world? Now for the believer in Christ, we are ready. Amen. And we're not looking for signs. We're not looking for details of the mark of the beast and stuff. I mean, I love studying all that, but I'm not worried about that. You know why? Because I'm not getting the mark of the beast. I won't be here. Revelation 13 says that beginning, it'll be optional. Then it'll be necessary. By the end of the chapter, you can't live without it. But I won't be around. You know why? Because the Lord Jesus is coming to take his bride home and the church will not go through the tribulation period. He hasn't engaged himself to us to beat us up in the tribulation period. But this is a time of Jacob's trouble. This is a time when Israel will be converted through this terrible storm. And so you need to get ready. You have to be ready. You know how you can get ready? Be born again. You need to accept the Lord into your heart and your life and say, I'm a sinner. I am lost. I need you. And just surrender your life to the Lord and say, I want to be saved. And he will hear that prayer. That's the only way that you can be ready. So these are a few things about the future that I hope will be a challenge uh, to us. And uh, I love prophecy. It it, uh, encourages us. It purifies us. It motivates us. And it inspires us, too, to worship the God of prophecy. It's an amazing thing. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, the God of history, today, the God of experience, and forever, the God of the future. We need him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your word. It is like a light that shines in a dark place. Lord, this world is a dark place since the Garden of Eden when humanity fell into sin. Lord, we were infected with that terrible virus, the virus of sin. And Lord, we just thank you for the cure. Uh, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And uh, we're so thankful for that. We thank you, Lord, for this day of grace. There's still opportunity for people to be saved, but we know that the time is short as well. And so we pray. We wish that all would be ready. And so we just commit ourselves to you this day, Lord. We thank you for this time together. And we uh, again pray, Lord, that this week would be a time of ingathering, a time of blessing and encouragement for the leaders that they would grow in their service for you. But, Lord, we pray, too, that you would open the eyes of those who need to see you. So we just commit each one to you here, Lord. We pray and give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.